0: Anatole Goletsky, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today at the Grand Reunion weekend. Your editor at large, of the Times, your book is called Capitalism 4.0. Why Capitalism
1: 4.0? The book is called Capitalism 4.0 because, uh, in reflecting on the crisis that. Uh, happened from 2009. Uh, When I started planning this book a year ago, it was pretty clear to me that the crisis, the worst part of the crisis, was over. Uh, And capitalism hadn't come to an end in the way that many people predicted, almost like an analogy to communism coming to an end 20 years earlier. Uh, and it struck me that although the capitalism hadn't come to an end, it wasn't going to go back to the way it was before the crisis. So something very fundamental had changed, but it hadn't been the destruction of the global capitalist system that people talked about. And what occurred to me was that this was perhaps the fourth systemic crisis of capitalism which didn't just uh, rearrange the system but change the nature of the capitalist system without actually destroying it, going back to the late 18th century uh, when I would argue that modern uh, capitalism was created uh, in the late 18th century with uh, Adam Smith and the um, American Declaration of Independence. What we've had over the last few years is the fourth crisis which is going to create again, a capitalist system, but the w- one that is recognizably distinct from anything that has gone before. And that's why I called Capitalism four. And within each of those periods of 40 to 50 years, there are various sub-periods, which I call 3.0, 3.1, 3.2, and so on.
0: And, and you did say that you thought the collapse of, of Lehman Brothers was more significant in terms of contemporary history than 9-11. And yet, You don't, in your book Capitalism 4.0, see that as being disastrous.
1: Well, I think it it was not disastrous for the future of the world and of capitalism as a concept, because what I stress is that capitalism is not one particular set of institutional relationships. It's an evolutionary system which evolves and actually adapts and arguably improves through a series of crises. So it wasn't a disaster for capitalism, but it was a disaster for the third version of capitalism, what's been called market fundamentalism, which really began in 1979 with the election of Margaret Thatcher, and I think did come to an end on that very specific day 9-15 with the uh, bankruptcy of Lehman. So in that sense it was a historic turning point as important probably more important than
0: 9-11. And you said that acknowledging fallibility was empowering. Now most people would be thinking uh, sitting with their hands in their hands and feeling despair but, but you said acknowledging fallibility is empowering.
1: Well recognizing that institutions as I say, both government and markets make mistakes and are fallible. Uh, is not uh, is not paralysing, but empowering. I think for for, for two reasons. Uh, first of all, because uh, recognising that anything uh, has errors in it means that there is capacity for improvement. The belief that you had a perfect market meant that whatever. Uh, results the market produced were the best possible results and nothing could be done to improve them, nothing could be done to change whatever industrial structure, for example, uh, the market decreed. Uh, If you recognize that markets and governments both make mistakes, then there is scope for improvement both in public policy and in business management. The other reason that it's empowering is that uh, what I think the next stage of capitalism is going to entail... Will be a series, a system of checks and balances, if you like, where markets are used to correct and improve the flaws of governments. For example, in a lot of public sector activities in health, education, and pensions, where governments dominate and where there is clear public disquiet, a lack of productivity growth, you need to introduce more markets. At the same time, there are many market activities where the uh, pure economic incentives have not produced results that are acceptable to society. Financial uh, regulation being one obvious case, but, for example, energy and environment being another. And there, by seeing that both markets and governments are fallible, you see that there is scope for public policy actually to improve the outcomes that are generated by markets.
0: And you very much also see the banks of the national states actually uh, governing by what you call a triple mandate, that, that actually regulation will work in the future.
1: Uh, so, one of the specific changes that I think will re- that will result from this kind of more nuanced uh, view about the relationship between markets and governments is that macroeconomic management is really going to change. For the last 30. 35 years, we've had a system of macroeconomic management based, based on economic theory, uh, which has said that there's really only one role for government uh, in macroeconomics, which is to control inflation. So the government would set an inflation target for the central bank, and the central bank's sole responsibility is to hit that inflation target. I think what we've learned in the last three years is that. There's a need to manage demand, to manage employment, to manage economic growth, to manage financial risk, which is at least as important as managing inflation. And simply controlling inflation does not solve those other problems. And therefore, central banks, the fashion for giving central banks very clear inflation targets and asking them to do nothing else, I think is going to come to an end. And over the next few years, central banks all over the world, including the Bank of England, including the ECB, will be forced to adopt targets more like those of the Federal Reserve which has not a single mandate to control inflation, but actually a dual or triple mandate. It's often called the dual mandate, which is to balance inflation and employment growth. But actually, if you look at the Federal Reserve Act, it also says that it's got to maintain low and stable long-run interest rates. And I think that's what central banks all over the world are going to do for the next few years. They're going to control inflation, but also try and keep um, unemployment down and also keep interest rates very low.
0: And in in terms of the grand reunion weekend, we're hearing from people all over the world who who globally run businesses, and they're talking about the complexity of the future global age we're moving into. In your book, Capitalism 4.0, you talk about ambiguity, unknowability, and and fuzzy thinking. is, Is that how you see the future uncertain, and business and governments sharing pragmatism to solve the problems that crop up?
1: I think that's exactly right. That's the main lesson that I would draw from the crisis. And I think a lot of the business community is drawing that lesson from the crisis, that uh, it has really taught us that uh, there is too much complexity uh, in the economy, in the financial system, and in the relationship between government and the markets for any... Uh, single target approach to operate. So we don't we we can't simply rely on central banks uh, following an inflation target. We can't simply rely on commercial banks following a profit target subject to whatever uh, regulation is out there, but being left completely alone to uh, meet those regulatory requirements in any way they want. We can't rely on energy companies simply responding to whatever market price happens to be set in the oil market. Uh, there, is, there, there is too much, not just uncertainty, but inherent unknowability about the future for that to be possible. So what we need is, is, is a world where uh, there's more of a sort of control engineering approach, where there's a recognition that there are many different objectives, and they all have to be kept in balance, And managements, both in the private sector and in the public sector and in central banking, have to keep their eyes on a lot of different dials and react to the ones that are are going into the red zone. And I think that's the world we're moving towards. And people like Jeff GE and uh, uh, President Obama, on the other hand, have specifically uh, talked about that, about the desirability of recognizing ambiguity, using the mathematics of fuzz, fuzzy logic, uh, or um, putting into effect uh, one of Keynes' uh, most famous uh, uh, phrases, which is that it's better to be roughly right than precisely wrong.
0: Now also, just finally, in, in terms of a sketch of the future or our future that, that you map out in your, in your new book, you say that worryingly we're moving from a representative to direct Democracies, the technology allows uh, uh, constant opinion polls and focus groups to to tell governments what they think, and that may not be good, but at the same time, you think that we could have a more prosperous future uh, just simply because you think the markets haven 't been good for ten years, and actually if we governments and business together get the changes and responses right, we, we could be more prosperous so on the one hand, disaster looms on on the other we could or go on holiday in a hot climate?
1: If you ask people a series of discrete and unconnected questions, they will very naturally give you discrete and unconnected and incoherent answers. If you ask people, do you want higher or lower taxes, they'll say you want lower taxes. If you ask them, do you want higher spending, they'll say we want higher spending. If you ask them, do you want balanced budgets, they'll say balanced budgets. Now, those three are impossible to achieve together. But if you have a series of discrete referendum, that's literally what's been going on, for example, in the state of California. You find that it's actually mathematically impossible to have coherent government. Uh, and I think this is a dangerous uh, direction in which uh, uh, really the combination of, of technology and media fragmentation is pushing us.
0: But, but if we get that balance right between a pragmatic business community globally, a pragmatic government or, of nation states and and working collectively for the good as well uh, across borders, we could be prosperous in the future?
1: Well, my view is that if we develop this uh, new form of capitalism in which there are checks and balances between the market and the public sector, between the principle of one man, one vote, and one or one pound, one dollar, one vote, uh, there is plenty of scope For the next 10 or 20 years, actually to see faster growth, more productivity improvements uh, than we saw in the last 20 or 30 years, the question is whether the fourth version of capitalism is going to be the democratic market-based capitalism that we tend to believe in, or whether... the. The real alternative is what's going on in China. An extremely successful economic and political model seems to be emerging based on authoritarian institutions, a lack of democracy, a much greater degree of state control and central planning. If our system doesn't deliver better results in the next 20 years than it did in the last 20 years, that's what will take over. But I think that all the opportunities are really on our side. This is very much... Uh, a game that is ours to lose. And if we don't lose it, then we'll win it.
0: Anatole Koletsky, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today and mapping out such an optimistic uh, future, if we get it right, at the Grand Reunion weekend. I've enjoyed it very much.
1: Thank you very much.